0: And you're listening to General Intellect Unit. This time we are picking up part two of our discussion of vital cells. If you didn't catch the first part I'd recommend pausing this episode, going back one and starting from there. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy the show. reason the, um, the author is bringing all this stuff up is that he's going to move on to like constructive proposals for getting beyond this um, this this trap uh, that we find ourselves in. We finally hit the vital cells section uh, where he's proposing this new form of organization.
1: Yes. Um, so this is a, uh, as, as you said, a new form of organization and it's about personal and collective growth and overcoming obstacles together. So in, in that way it is different from the wellness paradigm of, of you know uh, let us all become uh, better people on our own uh, by being in proximity to one another and buying the same consumer goods. Um, yeah. Uh, so it says uh, in the article, drawing upon the organization of Alcoholics Anonymous, vital cells is an organizational model characterized by a distributed network of cells composed by interchangeable individuals who are animated by common principles in response to concrete problems, a network which is easily reproducible and which integrates feedback mechanisms to guide group development. So it is, uh, yeah, uh, uh, about cells. It is about uh, the network of cells and it is about uh,
0: the collectives within these cells. Yeah, Um the uh, under the heading of cybernetic organization, uh, he kind of uh, puts forward like we're it's it's we're not just talking about a because I, I guess like a lot of you know autonomous and leftists are kind of familiar with like decentralized network and stuff as a kind of magic word that uh, makes things cool, um, but we're we're not just going to do this decentralized networks we're going to have protocols and extrinsic relations to to make this stuff work better um, extrinsic relations. Um, it's placing the emphasis on the autonomy of individuals in relation to the cells. Um, and maybe a shorthand for this is that, like, these cell, these organisational cells don't engulf their, their members, you know? Um, and I think this, this is being uh, borrowed from uh, Manuel de Landa. Um, and uh, so there's, there's a quote here, um, unlike holes in which being part of this hole is a defining characteristic of the parts that is, holes in which the parts cannot subsist independently of the relations they have with each other, uh, so that would be relations of interiority, we need to conceive of emergent holes in which parts retain their autonomy so that they can detach from one hole and plug into another, entering into new interactions. So that's typical Delanda sort of pretty complex speak for um, explaining all that. But um, maybe the way way to understand this is like... um, in say Nazism, you know, the, being a member of the Aryan race is something that consumes your entire being, right? Like your your full identity as a person is fully identified with this like uh, engulfing relation.
1: Yeah, and and your your individuality is annihilated in in the in the face of the existence of the Führer, right? Because the the Führer is the only true individual, everyone else are just sheeple, but by being a member of the Aryan race and the Nazi movement, you are subsumed into the greatness of the Fuhrer as that individual, the, 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 the true individual who like manifests, you know, meaningful aesthetic greatness in this
0: world. Mm-hmm. And the so that's that's intrinsic relation uh, or relations of interiority, and then by contrast, extrinsic relations or relations of exteriority are where you do have an autonomous existence uh, that can slip between these um, these holes, these like um, larger structures that you're kind of um, relating to. So, uh, one of the kind of banal example that's very familiar to everyone is um, uh, employment. Like y- your life is not entirely consumed by your the company that you're working for um, at any given time. Uh, well, I mean it shouldn't be for a lot of people. It basically is, but you know, um, you can leave. You can go somewhere else. You can you know go home and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it's the uh,
1: it's the false the false ideal of free labor under capitalism is um, it promises this uh, extrinsic relation to work, right? That you're no longer a serf on the land. You're no longer a slave under a master. You're no longer an artisan whose parents, or sorry, whose father uh, was a master. And then you have no choice in your life, but to pursue the craft that they pursued. Um, You're no longer a uh, prince who must inherit the throne, um, you have an extrinsic relationship to the groups that you belong to. Um, that is part of the liberty that capitalism promises, although it can only truly deliver it to, uh, the bourgeoisie.
0: Right. And it's like wage labor is still an, uh, you know, all engulfing thing, right? Like you can, you can shuttle from one employer to another, but like wage labor is still, an, is still, Uh, all-consuming so it's um you're
1: you're either employed under the dominance of a bourgeois or a collective bourgeois or you are in the reserve army of labor and you are uh superfluous to society and uh at 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 the danger of uh of of you know uh starvation and, and not having your your all your basic
0: needs met yeah um, but in, in this case, it does serve as, a, as an example of like one of the poles or, you know, somewhere along towards one end of the scale on these things. Because like you could compare uh, the usual kind of employment that we're familiar with versus like being in the army as like you sleep on base and you eat, you know, in the barracks and stuff. It's, that, that's a more all-consuming thing. Um, and that's that's less in, less extrinsic. It's more intrinsic. In situations of wage
1: labor, we see that in, like, company towns or um, uh, uh, um, worker dormitories outside of factories or Google, that kind of place where it's like, we provide you everything here so you never have to leave. Um, So, it's you know, it's kind of on the one hand you have Foxconn where it's that totally militarized approach and then it's – you have something like Google, where the um, the the domination is completely inter- internalized, as opposed to being um, extrinsically enforced through like actual um, physical punishment and uh, uh, regimentation.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, the reason all this is relevant for the author is that in this model, um, the parts, uh, this the like human members, um, can and should belong to several cells simultaneously. So that this is interesting because in, in, the, in, the, in the network, the individuals become the edges in the network rather than the nodes. So the, it, it's a, that's a really fun inversion of the usual way these kind of things are laid out, where, like, the individual human beings are nodes and it's the network that networks them together. Whereas in this case, it's human beings that act as the bridges between the cells, which are the organizational cells, which are the, the nodes of the network. Um I don't know if this is strictly thinkable
1: in terms of graph theory because the thing about edges is that they only have two nodes they connect to. So you could be an edge like say in um uh right? Let's let's say they inverted it and you were the edge. Well, you could relate to to two groups right and those groups would have people in them but you couldn't simultaneously relate to
0: more than two groups yeah totally i wonder if if that's why the author picks two as the number of cells that a person should belong to is because it it fits with the graph analogy but you could very easily imagine oh yeah just go to go to three cells and the graph thing would break down you're quite right
1: Yes, which is something that, like, you actually cannot map in graph theory because, yeah, ed- edges can only be, t- be between two things. That's, that's just inherent to what it means to be a line, is that, you know, you're, you're a two-dimensional shape between <laughs> two points.
0: <laughs> I don't know, can, we, can we find some non-Euclidean uh, geometry? I, I, I bet you, though, even with non-Euclidean geometry, you still can't get out of that. Like, a line has to join two things. Um. Uh yes,
1: well, because the thing in non-Euclidean geometry is that you um have uh, what is it the the principle of uh, Euclidean geometry where um, lines converge with one another uh, uh, going towards the horizon doesn't apply, um, but that has no bearing on the inherent nature of what a line is um yeah so i think that this may be a real theoretical problem that uh that needs to be thought through here because um uh yeah this, the like you could say, well, people are actually like distributed entities and they exist in multiple edges, but then the edges couldn't relate to the other edges except by means of nodes. So mm, it's uh, it, it, it definitely there's only weird solutions to this. And I don't know if any of them are uh, satisfactory. I'd have to think about it more. Um, but I, I, I do think it's a it's a significant problem.
0: Yeah, Um this, this reminds me of some stuff that comes up in, in Bark, where um, he, he doesn't try to model people as edges, but he does kind of emphasize that like um, a lot of the system two and system three, like communication that happens between units happens because people actually go between the units. So that like if if somebody is in two or three different working groups, their brain is the communication channel between the working groups. You know so that's um maybe again maybe for for beer that's all a bit more kind of the kind of rhizomatic nervous system sort of stuff where things get a bit squishy and wobbly anyway um and having these many multiple connections is is, is a thing but um it's a there's prior art on this you know it
1: also yeah it also makes me think about Nora Betison's um talking about uh the reification uh Inherent in uh, these kinds of graphs, where she was talking about, um, I think, like questioning the solidity of edges. Um, that, like, you know, we 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 assume that these nodes and edges have a kind of meaningful existence, but they all really exist in a kind of um, functional process way, as opposed to a. Um, uh, uh, entity, entity relation way. Um, yeah. So that, um, that would be another way to approach this question. Um, but I think, yeah, I think we're sort of getting at like useful alternative ways of conceptualizing this. Uh, but I don't think that they actually address the particular problem with this,
0: this, this, uh, idea. No, indeed. Um, Uh, there's an interesting point here that cells should be ephemeral they should emerge in response to a situation and then dissolve i think at some point later they'll say that they should actually have an expiration date uh, built in um which is interesting because that it sort of steers a little bit against um uh i guess the 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 emphasis on long-term viability that we find essential in beer and it it might just be that for beer that's just the thing he cared about was long-lasting institutions but um it's interesting to think of this right like Inst- uh, institutions or organizational groups that just have a built-in expiration date um, probably for the sake of freshness like th- this is a thing that like comes up in uh, biology right that like there's a reason individual cells in the body and frankly individuals of the species uh, burn out and die it's kind of to prevent stagnation uh, in the in, in the, the line of things that like it's, it's better to have things blow up And be progressed beyond rather than have them stick around pathologically. It's why, it's why revolution is desirable. You need a need to change, (laughs) you need constant change. And I I like that the the author here has built that in as like, no, 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 these, these shouldn't be um, things that stick around terribly long. They should stick around as long as they need to and then dissolve. That should be considered normal for these things to break up.
1: So I think there is a side of beer that would agree with this for sure, which is that you know, when he talks about our existing uh, government organizations or corporate organizations and how they're so out of date, they're so poorly adapted towards achieving the um, uh, the goal of Udemony, um, and they're very poorly adapted to even achieving their own ostensible goals. Like he's constantly wishing death upon them, right? Um, and I think that uh so I've been working in my PhD on a lot of sort of process philosophy um and I think that one useful way to think about it is that um it's okay for a developing process to have a um a termination point uh, an end Um, as long as it's uh, spawning desirable processes in the course of its existence, right? So that could be either uh, cloning itself or, you know, uh, splitting into uh, distinct uh, processes or having, like, sort of sexual reproduction with other processes, right? Like, these, these things there's a, there's a um, desirable continuity that goes on there that outlives the particular process. And it might, in retrospect, not even be recognizable as the end of one process and the beginning of another because the later process subsumes what the old process used to mean, right? So, like, for instance, like... Um, like, say you overthrow the monarchy and you establish a republic. The republic claims continuity with the entity that that kingdom was, right? Even though it's a distinct thing, um, it's, it's not as though when France went from being a kingdom to being a republic, people said that France ceased to exist unless they were diehard reactionaries, Right. Um, So there's there's ways in which these things can reproduce, mutate, uh, change retrospectively that can, I think, achieve some of those goals of viability without being attached to the um, the continuity of a particular entity. Um, and I, I think this is interesting in the sense of uh, 12-step groups because one thing I've noticed is that, like, yes, they do tend to fade off and, 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 and die out. But um, there are also people who, like, stick around them beyond the purpose of the group existing. And because they get some kind of camaraderie, they get some kind of sense of community from the group – They get some kind of, you know, meaningful social interaction from the group that isn't actually what the group is there to provide. But I guess over time, even if those people do exist in the group, it does tend to die out once it's achieved its goal. And um, it's only with the creation of a new group uh, by new individuals that that you see it kind of come back again or maybe in a different place. Um, so yeah, these these a, these a or twelve step groups tend to actually have this characteristic of having a an expiration date, even though it's not defined in advance.
0: Mm. And I guess like we can call back to Boyd as well with the destruction creation uh, shtick that like yeah, having having a thing break down or ha- having a bunch of things break down and then a bunch of new things be constituted out of, out of the parts um, is is healthy, right? Like you get. Um, it it would be better for, you know, a bunch of twelve step groups to liquidate and then reform a bunch of new ones. Then it w- that would be healthier than to just have the couple of groups that are there just like take along forever and like slowly atrophy.
1: Yeah, which ma- like and that's why you need what's called like an intergroup. Um, which is just a group that is responsible for maintaining the protocol and the kind of know-how. Um, that, or That's what you get at the regional level, national level, international level. But like they don't strongly dictate what each group does. It's just that given that these groups live and die... Uh, there needs to be a repository for for know how and for protocols. Um, otherwise, the protocol would be lost
0: itself um, with their termination. Exactly, um, and the author does use the um, twelve step groups as examples of of this stuff. That like people flip between many different meetings. Like some somebody might go to Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday meetings and, and see a lot of different faces as they go across these. Um, these network clusters um, and it's again it's a good example of like this kind of very very distributed and very robust kind of um, kind of institution um, some of the practice stuff on forming cells is, is interesting right that like uh, the author advises maybe five to ten comrades um, and then for each cell and then each of those people should participate in two cells simultaneously they'd have a home cell and then a secondary one. And if, if they don't have a secondary one, they should go out and create one. Um, and that's that's kind of how you have this, like, contagious um, mimetic spread, right? Like, um, you're actively going out to do that. But then, crucially, you're kind of stopping uh, stopping at two. Or, like, I guess each each cell stops at five to 10. Um, if it gets any bigger than that, it splits in, splits in two to form those. And if people find themselves at a loose end where it's like, okay, I don't have a secondary group, I need to go start one. Um, yeah, it, it seems plausible as a model of like a contagious spread for organization.
1: Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, and they, they they also mentioned that, uh, you know, you make your second cell and then you switch from quantitative growth to qualitative growth. So basically achieving the goals of your organization within that five to ten person group um, as opposed to, you know, being a trot out on the street with your newspaper trying to recruit as many people as possible to your cell.
0: The, the primitive accumulation of cadre, yeah. Um, this is good, right, because it, it enshrines a protocol that steers against that kind of accumulation. Um, this, this seems more... More plausible as a as an actually viable model. Um,
1: yeah, I I have qualms about this, but I want to save them for later. So we'll
0: we'll just we'll just keep going uh, for now. Sure. Um, protocols. Um, I mean, we all know what protocols are are. Um, this is the and uh, the answer to how do you maintain consistency across this like dynamic expanding kind of uh, network of cells. Um, you have these behavioral patterns and this like stuff. It's it's all actually taking direct inspiration from like computing, like TCP, IP, DNS, all these kind of protocols are things that they pin down the ground rules so that everything else can actually go autonomously. Um, Maybe some other examples would be like the rules of the road, you know, that like there are behavioral protocols for driving that permit, the reason you're able to go anywhere you want or whatever, more or less autonomously is precisely because there is a protocol in place to decide so much stuff
1: yeah it's 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 very strange that the author identifies the origin of the term protocol with computing protocols, but <laughs> it's like, no, like stuff like stuff like ru- ru- uh, rules of the road or like rules of etiquette uh, are, are protocols that like vastly predate the internet uh, or computing for that matter. So yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's definitely something that like humans have been doing for a very long time. You can even, you can even like identify it in like, uh, like bird communities, that they have protocols that are endogenous to those communities or regions, or you know, like this. This is something that exists uh, in in pretty much every uh, every form of uh, life. Um, even you know, like uh, the mutation of uh, COVID uh, to what was what was the organism that Omicron uh, formed in. Yeah, 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 it went from humans to mice and then back to humans. It's like, well, in order to interface with the the mice cells, it actually changed its mode of operating in our terms with the mouse protocol, which just means that when it comes back to humans, it's it's less virulent for us, um,
0: yeah. Yeah, um, but and in, in cybernetics, these kind of protocols are recognized as ways that systems uh, tr- tame variety um, and there's there's a funny thing that happens where if you institute these kind of protocols and rules you slow things down and reduce the variety but for the sake of speeding it up later so like you kind of gain um, you, you kind of gain compatibility that like makes makes further autonomous action uh, much easier it's kind of like give, giving up a little bit of freedom to gain a lot mo- a lot more freedom down the road um, again the rules of the road are such a good example of that that like you know prior to there being any protocols for driving, it was fucking chaos and like it was really hard to drive because you risked death um much more than you usually do. Uh, I mean we still risk death all the time driving, but like it's remarkably safe compared to how it was um at the dawn of, of the of driving, right? Um and, you know, a sort of one might have a knee jerk reaction of like, ah, oh, they're taking away my freedom to just like plow into a bus stop or whatever and you know drive whatever way it's like yeah but you're you're gaining a lot more by just like sticking to the fucking rules you know um one might have such an
1: objection <laughs> never have i met anyone online who had such an objection <laughs> <laughs> oh christ traffic lights i hate him
0: that's tyranny yeah yeah i don't know it, it, uh, that's such a pervasive thing right like and it's it's whether it's for driving or for, I don't know, the response to fucking COVID or for anything, or even, you know, frankly, a lot of stuff that I saw in the kind of, like, anarchist world, it's like, for so many people, like, um, politics and interpersonal relationships and relationship to social systems and relationship to authority basically takes the form of, fuck you, you're not my real mom, you can't tell me to clean my room. Yes. You know? That's 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 the core of sentiment. That's at the heart of so many things. It, it, it's, it's the point
1: that uh, that uh, that the German health minister Lauterbach was uh, was making when he was quoting Hegel in Parliament.
0: <laughs> what was like, the quote like? Free, um, freedom is the recognition of necessity, or something.
1: Yes. Yeah. We we regain freedom through vaccination. It is the virus that confides us. Hegel once said, and in this respect, he is right. Freedom is the recognition of necessity. So, you know, it is, uh, uh, we, 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 we gain freedom through the rules of the road to use the road and move about the road as in, in a, in a quick manner,
0: uh, wherever we like. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, um, that's, a, that, that, uh, that is a good one. Um. What's the next section? Critical feedback. Um, we all know what feedback is.
1: Yes. Um, so uh, this feedback is a system responding to its own outputs um, and uh, you're comparing your results against your intentions and correct. Uh, you do error-correcting feedback to achieve your intentions. Um, the feedback must be oriented towards a common goal in the system. Uh, so these, uh, according to the offer, uh, these goals need to emerge, not be decided from above. So obviously that's not um, universally true of feedback systems because um, like, you know, your thermostat has a, it, it's, its goals are determined, uh, uh, what do you call that, um, Heteronomously. Uh, like they're, they're, the, they're determined by the person who designed the thermostat. They're not determined by the thermostat. Uh, but for these revolutionary organizations, um, we must uh, uh, determine our goals. Uh, we must be self-legislating, right? We must determine our own goals. We, yeah. Um, and uh, we need a means of developing this common goal and directionality. Uh, So uh, he writes, uh, or they write, uh, the mechanism we propose to guide the feedback process is the simultaneous act of critique. When united, feedback and critique become critical feedback. Critique is the task of identifying the vectors of power that constitute the self. Through critique, we come to identify the operations of governmentality on our bodies and on the production of ourselves as subjects identity distinctions, markers of physical and mental ability, categorizations of mental health, traumas, group dynamics, drug addiction. All of these features that compose us as subjects are simultaneously vectors of power. This organization of traits we can call, in scare quotes, subjectivity. The critical task is to identify these vectors and thereby to render them as problems susceptible for intervention. So yeah, it's 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 interesting because um, uh, given the sort of given the sort of thinking that you see in autonomism, it would be easy to think that what autonomism desires is to manifest the true self, um, but. It's not really like that. It's more that, like in Spinoza, you have this um, notion of God where God is everything. It's pantheistic, right? Um, that that the the entire natural world in all of its facets and and, and is is God, um, and. Therefore, there is a kind of divine ground of being from which emerges various sorts of happenings, right? And so when we're talking about this kind of like Deleuzean or Spinoza's way of of thinking about self-development, we're not talking about like finding your true self and then making that manifest in the world it's more about like manifesting that like infinitely powerful singularity that is the divine ground of being uh, as opposed to uh you know a true self or your soul or something like that something that is stable and rigidly defined um, because that for them would just be another way by which you can be dominated, right? Is like, it's like, oh, uh, you know, it's like, I a Christian comes up to you and they're like, oh, good news, friend. Uh, like when you die, your immortal soul is going to go to heaven and you will exist in supreme paradise. Um, and it's like, awesome. Great. Cool. That's great. Uh, Thanks for letting me know. Uh, Is there a catch? Well, you have to discipline yourself for your entire life because you have this thing tied to you called a soul. And if you don't take care of it right, you're not going to heaven. Right. So there's like this this gift. But then it's a bait and switch where actually you are disciplined uh, illegitimately by the moral system. So so really, this is um, trying to get past that, get beyond that by saying, well, all of these identity distinctions, all of these things that we might call the const- constituents of our subjectivity are actually vectors of power. And what that means is that they are in movement, right? They, they exist not as a static thing, but as something that is towards Something and therefore you can kind of escape them through these lines of flight, right? It's this really like kinetic motion-based metaphor of what it is to
0: be Oppressed or to be free. Yeah to be to be marked. You know? like you're, you're being marked constantly by these 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 lines and vectors um, And if, only, if you could just slip out from under the fucking things. Mm-hmm. They're trying to pull you in their direction Yeah Right, and if you could slip out from under them and just kind of get, 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 I could do bullet time dodge around them. Like you could, um, you could maybe, maybe get on, get on one of these. Uh, what was the thing earlier? Ride the snake. You just hop on, hop on the good line of flight, and um, ride the ride the snake to the end. Yeah.
1: Exactly. You ride the snake.
0: Ride the snake to multitudinous ecstasy. Mm-hmm. God, yeah. It's just it's it sounds so much like a Ronnie James Dio uh, fucking album, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Exactly,
1: I I can't read anything and like in multitude without just like thinking about like a, hoy- a ayahuasca trip or something. You know, it's it's all
0: just wild, like a Hawkwind record. Yeah, yeah. Oh, totally, totally. <laughs> yeah, um, but like I mean, stripping off some of the bong rip, I think some of the kind of like the aspects here of like naming the enemy is 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 worthwhile, and it it does come up a bit later under like consciousness raising. That like if you're kind of able to kind of name the kind of ways in which you've been marked and like if we could do it together, you know, kind of work out all these these ways that kind of um, you get put under these marks, um, this possibility of liberation there.
1: Yes. And this is like this is definitely something that's like recognizable in any kind of uh, oppressed community that becomes a community for itself to use the, the dreaded Hegelian terminology, um, uh, just <laughs> to, <laughs> which I'm sure the autonomous would not like. Uh, but, uh, if, if you, if you, if you do become conscious, right, you know, through like quote unquote, consciousness raising, um, as they mentioned here, uh, you start to recognize these marks, recognize these, um, symptoms of oppression. So it's like, you know, uh, for example, like my personal experience is like with like ADHD TikTok, right? It's like people just being like, "Oh my God! Like you have that, I also have that. You suffer from this, I also suffer from this. Oh my God! There's a pattern here. There's something meaningful behind this. There's, you know, there's there's such a thing as being neurodivergent. There's such a thing as that being valid as opposed to simply being defective. Like you know, and 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 the author mentions like uh, feminist consciousness raising too, right? Where it's like. Oh, like your husband beats you. My husband beats me, too. Like I you're tired taking care of the kids all the time. I am, too. Like you feel unfulfilled because you didn't get to pursue your your passions and instead were uh, forced into a situation of limited domesticity. Well, I felt that, too. Um, And then you start to get a program uh, out of these uh, processes um, to become
0: otherwise. Yeah. Mm hmm and it's it's a precondition for going anywhere with that right like go, going from going from my problem to our problem is really crucial for there to, to be any kind of collective action to remediate these problems like it's it's really impossible to conceive of that kind of action without this consciousness raising this this critical feedback
1: yeah that's that's where a uh, that's where a System 5 is so powerful, right? That if you don't have a System 5, you don't have an organism. And if you don't have an organism, you don't have the capacity for operating as an organism.
0: hmm Can't do anything, yeah. This, uh, this this example that's used a bit um, after the Feminist Consciousness raising is TechMill, which I hadn't heard of before. Um, are we familiar with this?
1: Uh, no. Uh, it sounds like a modified form of like struggle sessions, basically. Um, uh, so it says, uh, drawn from the Kurdish movement, techmil is a process of constructive group criticism. Briefly, techmil involves the group coming together and taking turns offering offering criticism and self-criticism about group dynamics. TechMill sessions are led by facilitators who are responsible for moderating group dynamics and taking notes on the session. Importantly, participants are not allowed to respond to criticism directly. And once a criticism has been made, the same criticism is not repeated by other participants. So like you don't have a a dogpiling situation. Once each person has had the opportunity to state their criticisms and self-criticisms, the group moves on to a second round where participants propose solutions to the problems raised. Through this process of group criticism, future group activity, actions, and individual and collective behaviors can be modified. Um, So I, I mean, this... Like I understand the need for something like this in the sense that like you need to have communication. It's like if you want to have um, like an effective couple or effective polycule or whatever, you need to have these kinds of conversations in order to continue adapting. Right. And if you don't have the conversations, if you just keep everything bottled up then you're just going to end up blowing up at each other and, and things are going to take a bad turn. So completely understand the need for this, but it does also sort of smack of cr- s- struggle sessions and like cult shit that I've heard of from um, people who've been in cults. Um, so I think that it's, it's, it's a fine line you have to na- navigate in these things um, where it's like, okay, um, the facilitator can't actually become a leader The, um, the criticisms shouldn't come with the expectation that the group is always right. And the, um, the proposal of solutions shouldn't be about obviating the individual in the name of the collective will right so um, for instance you can have like a cult where they'll be like oh this is all about wellness it's all about getting better like we're all about here to do we're all here to do therapy on ourselves and all uh you know here to just be better people but the expectation of being a better person through the process of criticism and self-criticism can actually be about brainwashing somebody because you invalidate their personal perceptions in favor of the ones that are asserted by the group, which is like, and there's a lot of like group think about, you know, whatever the powerful person says is important. Everybody else needs to uh, like internalize. So the fact that you can't dogpile here is a way to prevent that to a degree. Um, and the fact that the, the facilitator is a facilitator and not a leader also helps with that. But it is definitely a concern um, because when you create groups like this of, say, five to ten people and they're involved in this process of, of, of uh, self-improvement um, collectively, uh the degree of intimacy that exists in that environment can be very dangerous if it is abused
0: Mm -hmm. yeah totally right like um yes the the group size thing is interesting because um uh in in many ways it's a lot harder when the groups are small you know because because they're more intimate yes unless
1: they're like Unless it's like they were describing where the cells are subsumed in a
0: larger organization, but they're still cells. Like I could imagine it being easier and probably more productive to run a session of this. that's like 50 or something people rather than like, you know, five to 10, you know, cause like it, it feels analogous to that problem we see in like, um, trying to unionize tech workers, whatever, where if you're in a like small company, like a startup or whatever, and there's like maybe Five, ten, fifteen people in the whole thing. It's much harder to get. I don't know. It's much harder to get for workers to get traction against the bosses when they're, it's that intimate. Whereas it's a fair. It's a fair bit easier when it's Google. You know, because like the the battle lines are kind of drawn much more clearly. And it's like, oh, with with Google, it's much easier for you as a worker to see that they're fucking you over. But when when you're in a kind of tiny startup, it's like, what, Dave's fucking me over? What are you talking about? You know, that sort of thing. It's so much harder when the groups are smaller and they're, they're more intimate um, so yeah this would be hard to balance you know?
1: yeah it's, it's, a, it's a really tricky thing because the reason why it's easier to organize in a large organization is because there's a degree of alienation that's implied there and so the counterpoint would be like well you should be in a small organization so that you're not existing in an alienated organization in the first place and, like, you know, you see with 12-step groups, they are about this size, right? They, they they aren't larger than that, and they do what they do. Um, and there's a certain degree to which it's okay because if there is abuse, that kind of thing, in the organization, then you can just fault the organization. But I, as somebody who's been through, like, kind of, like, small cultish organizations in the past... Um, I also wouldn't I, I also wouldn't understate the amount of harm that you can get even from like you know uh, hey this is fucked up oh my god I'm leaving now brief sort of brief interaction like that um, as a you know yeah so it's it's really tough um,
0: I guess another way it's tough is that um or I, I guess another thing that flows out of the groups being small is that um, like a, when you have fewer people, a swing is more severe. You know what I mean. So like, with three people, a swing of one person on an issue is a full like sixty, sixty-six to thirty-three. You know, sort of ratio. Whereas, in a large in a large group, a swing of one or two people is you know forty-nine to fifty-one or whatever. Um, I that oh, it's tricky. It's real fucking tricky because that that's um the uh, it, it's it's lower resolution and is more i guess it's just more you know when when the swing is that severe even even if it's just a kind of coin toss of one person or whatever uh, it, it it kind of makes that big a difference you know uh, th- maybe the thing here is that like there's something that's possibly underexplored in leftist thought that like to some degree, like, a certain amount of scale and a certain amount of alienation and a certain amount of distance from your comrades is actually healthy and productive and might actually be preferable, you know? Yes.
1: Um, yeah, I think there's, like, all kinds of advantages and disadvantages because, like, there definitely are circumstances where being in a larger organization has its benefits. It's like in... Um. um You know, in the VSM, if all five systems are composed in a group of 10 people, then doing um, system three star, the audit stuff, um, is pretty much restricted to like either doing back channel communication or doing this kind of tech mill thing. Um, Whereas... If you're in a larger organization, um, then you could say, uh, you know, bring in people who are still part of your organization to do an audit, but who are not um, a part of like your everyday working group. Right. Um, And so. That's not to say that that prevents abuse necessarily because, like, look at trot organizations, right? Like, they have that size. They have that organization where it's like, oh, if there's going to be an investigation, it's going to be an investigation set up by the central committee. Central committee then makes a total clown show out of it. And, uh, you know, the abuse is suppressed or whatever. Like, just think about what happened with the uh, SWP. Um, So... But again, that's one of those situations where it's like there's the central committee and then there are cells and there is no like general assembly or larger venues because every cell is kind of broken up from each other. Um, So that's a network power imbalance. Um, Yeah, I think uh, this is something like we need to explore more because it's been coming up in other situations, too. But like just kind of like small group psychology stuff the relationship between quantity and quality in group, uh, networks.
0: Right. Um, it's very important. Yeah, it's, it's crucially important. Um, I mean, I wonder if like, um, like it, uh, this, this stuff is probably, I mean, this the small group psychology stuff is probably pretty well covered in, I guess, ordinary bourgeois kind of, you know, management stuff and, like, organizational stuff. So maybe that's the place to look for that rather than, like, you know, the the paper of some trot group who <laughs> probably don't do very well at this. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, there's, there's like, plenty of research that is outside of, like, the Marxist, like, orbit, um, which probably is worth reading. If we just haven't done it. Yeah.
0: Um... The last section then is Discipline and Control. Um, This is where they bring in the surrender bit from um, the 12-step thing. Um, And the author kind of... Yeah, kind of really starts... Starts going down this this route with... um, uh, Yeah, that, like, we really can't seem to get anywhere by just trying to do individual will sort of stuff. And that... um, Like, I guess in, in... the AA, it's like this surrendering to a power greater than oneself. It takes on this very religious sort of connotation. But um I guess what's proposed here is just kind of revolutionary discipline, I guess. That like, hey, let, let's let's not try to just fucking do this all individually by sheer will. Let's like actually organize and be kind of disciplined about it.
1: Yeah, I think this is a little underbaked because like, it's like, okay, in AA, you are surrendering to god and you know like as as you understand him quote unquote um and the point there is that in doing so you experience a shift of perspective where the problem isn't one of self will and self management as an individual, but one where you are in the context of this, like infinite benevolence um, that is in the world that will, that, that just, that just gives you the ability to step out of that, like circuit of thinking, right. Of, 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 uh, I need to discipline myself this way and that way and the other way. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, like you're not alone. In fact, there's an infinite benevolent power in the world that is here to help you. Um and I think there there's definitely a certain power to substituting the revolutionary process for God there as like a greater power because it is in fact a greater power like once a revolutionary process is going it is a greater power than an individual Um, that's that's a fact but it also can't be taken as infinitely benevolent because like God God is a thing that is like maximally abstract right it is it is is like is unless you're talking about like say uh in an, an embodied like god with a personality right like you know um uh zeus or whatever um it's a very very thin concept right it's just oh it's all powerful it's all knowing and it's good okay Like, that's all you need to know about it. That's all there is to it. And whatever empirical things you see in your life, um, are beyond any relationship to these facts about God. Um, whereas a revolutionary process is a specific empirical process that is happening in the real world and can in fact go quite badly, uh, uh, and it, it, it probably isn't very well served by people being totally uncritical about it because like, I mean, the, the point about God there is that God is an un, uh, an unconditional agency, an unconditional being. Like you don't need to engage your thinking mind to dissect the motivations and actions of God. In this sense, it's just, oh, just God is all powerful. God is uh, God is good. Uh, That's all you need to know. Um, But you can't help but do that with a revolution. Or if you're not, it's pretty scary because then you're in the realm of being a complete zealot. Right. Um, So. I think that. It maps in the sense that the revolution is a power greater than oneself, but it doesn't map in the three the three steps that uh, come out of AA, um, because the, the, these aren't the same things, right? So like, okay, we are powerless over capitalism. Our lives have become unmanageable. Yeah, sure. Absolutely true. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Yeah, sure. The revolutionary movement, the real movement, right? and we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Point 3, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> turn our lives over to the revolution? Yes, turn our will over to the revolution. That is one of those things where it's like yes, but like it's it's extrinsic, right? It's like I don't I don't completely identify with the revolutionary process even if a part of my will is uh, is involved with it, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I think at, at its best, this is a actually a fairly straightforward like appeal to the autonomists and the anarchists to like get their shit together and actually like collaborate properly and not think solely about their own them themselves, whatever. Um, and to you know the the, the kind of the kind of um exhortation to group discipline that would be. Just totally banal to like MLs, or whatever. I think some of this is like the, the it comes out of the the kind of people that the author is addressing. It, it seems to come out of personal frustrations with, like, you know, it, it's 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 directed at a very particular kind of person. Um, at its worst, it's like shining path fucking shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, so. I don't know. I, I, I think you're right that, like, the, um, the uh, comparisons being made here doesn't exactly fit. But, um, like, throughout the essay, the author kind of uh, puts some emphasis on, like, healing and personal restoration and, like, group healing and restoration. Like, that, um, I guess, you know, the, the only way to heal and to get over these kind of problems is to um, surrender some of your will to a... Kind of group system that actually helps you get over the problem, right? You know, to put it in those kind of terms. Um,
1: yeah, that no, like that's totally reasonable, right? Like it's 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 like you know it's like saying, well, you know, the only way to uh, like break a COVID wave is to submit to public health measures, and that's going to overall improve your uh your, your your well-being and it's like okay yeah reasonable enough like i give up a a, a bit of my liberty in order to achieve a, a different kind of freedom um fine that's that makes complete sense but to give over my will is a step
0: too far <laughs> yeah totally and it, it, there's almost a kind of irony here I, I, there's something that's tickling my brain in a weird way that like for for everything that was said about wellness and the, the kind of problems, that kind of culture, there's some of this stuff later that almost reads like imploring autonomous and anarchists to become like self-help cults or something. You know, that, that's the kind of cells that we're gonna create. Ooh, I dunno.
1: Yeah, yeah. When it's when it's focused on healing and consciousness raising um primarily um at the end there, it's like yeah, there's it's, – it's definitely of a similar kind of thing. And, 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 and 12-step groups are literally self-help groups, right? Like it's it's about, you know, just average anonymous individuals coming together to help each other at like as a collectivity is self-help. Because um, like a lot of sort of uh, self-help stuff – isn't necessarily just about individuals. It can also be about communities doing self help, right? Um, like, uh, you know, miners like back in the day before the NHS existed, and miners did their own health insurance thing. That was self
0: help, right? That's that's the like at the best interpretation. Kind of goes that way. It's, it's something a tiny bit worrying. Somewhere in here, I don't know. As well, you know, it's it's hard not to kind of feel a little bit worried in some ways. Um, but the, the 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 best possible interpretation is good. Yeah.
1: Oh, especially yeah. somebody who's been burned by groups like this. <laughs> Justified skepticism. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't know the some some of the like the the conclusions or whatever are. Kind of at a less objectionable, like this the, yeah, like um, I think one of the ways it's put is that like we're we're not gaining, we're not gaining freedom from discipline and control, but gaining freedom via discipline and control, which definitely has a kind of dark interpretation, but also has a interpretation that just fits with everything we've been talking about, like in, you know, the rules of the road actually do set you free from certain um, privations, you know.
1: Yeah, it it's like how. Um that quote, that you know, the the Hegel quote that was quoted by the German health minister, could be completely reasonable in that context, and in many contexts. Uh, but you know, it also was frequently uh, cited by like the GDR to justify <laughs> like social oppression, right? Like that, it's like like oh yeah, we need the Berlin Wall because. Uh, you know, you have to recognize necessity, and that's that's real freedom. Being being trapped behind this wall with with soldiers on it that are going to shoot you if you try to leave is actually
0: freedom because you're recognizing necessity. Mm-hmm. I I guess that that's the other that's that's the other thing that's kind of floating around in the back of my mind. That's um, it, it's 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 a worry about something that's not necessarily entirely in the piece, but that it's something that else else it triggers in my brain that like. You know we've we've seen folks get a little bit too much into the GDR stuff in recent times, and you know we're we're seeing this like patriotic socialism or whatever the fuck uh, kind of emerge, and it's like I don't know. I can see the dark, ugly stuff <laughs> brewing as well. That like uh, some of what's on the page doesn't entirely disagree with. You know what I mean? This something. I don't know. I, maybe my uh, my spidey senses are a little bit oversensitive these days, but
1: it, it's not like nationalistic or anything like that in this article, and and like sort of meets all of the anarchist criteria for you know uh, being uh, uh, properly revolutionary, but um, uh, it, yeah, it, it, I think. A healthy amount of skepticism is useful whenever going into these small group situations um, and maybe there are ways to better organize things to sort of promote safety and to um, qualify to whatever degree is possible that submission to the, the real movement um, with a kind of rational examination of your circumstances and uh, honesty with yourself. Um, because like I think that those are qualities that you need in a revolution even if it means that you might get thrown in jail or killed, right is like you know it's it's never okay to completely, to, To to throw your reason to the wind and to deny the validity of your own experience. Right. Um, because those points are sort of like a necessary corrective to, um, the swinginess of revolutions where ambitious people will just manip- like, manipulate whatever way the wind is blowing and push it in the most extreme direction possible which may be the right thing to do in some situations and that's fine but also could be a complete fucking disaster and anyone who criticizes it is against the will of the revolution so obviously they're, they're, they they're just don't count um, so you, you need you need to have like counterbalancing forces in a revolution, and uh, it's important to emphasize that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, Shall we move on to the conclusion?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, uh, there was uh, one point that was interesting to me, Um, this mentorship point. Uh, Basically just, oh, you're, you're in these two groups, your primary and your secondary, and then you have a mentor, but the mentor is somebody who's from neither the primary or the secondary. Uh, that that's that's quite a nice quite a nice check on that uh, in group cult shit. Uh, as long as you know it doesn't spread too far, right? It's it's a it's a good good idea. I think it's a very good idea, and, and definitely we support that kind of notion.
0: It's yeah. Uh, it's, it reminds me of something I think we saw. I saw something we read with was it in the Lumio interview? Maybe that like they have um, the buddy system. Yeah. So like, um, yeah, exactly. So you have like a kind of third party that's, um, yeah, I don't know, like outside of the team that you're on and isn't also your, uh, I don't know how the head it structured. It's like it was like there was like a,
1: a a chain of of like individual to individual to individual, but then the 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 buddy thing like kind of like jumped out of that chain, so it wasn't like. So that there was some degree of re- reflexivity and it wasn't just, like, stuck in the, like, you know, there's one person helping me and I'm helping one other person and I can't see the f- the forest for the trees.
0: Yeah, there's there's always somebody else there as well. Um, yeah, uh, I think a solid way to... It's a solid escape hatch from a lot of these problems. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, in the conclusion, it's just a bit of a wrap-up on, like, um, that these are proposals for, like... Hopes, they're trying to get towards long-term solutions to all these problems that plague us, right? Um, and that... It, it, it kind of really is, as it's put here, that, like, it's a revolutionary project to develop our capacities and to basically overcome trauma. Like, that... That that Developing capacities and healing trauma are actually... Their themes are run all throughout the piece. Um, and that... it It's more understandable why the... AA and twelve step stuff is such a focus there. It's like that—that is—that is what they're concerned with.
1: Yeah, and it makes sense that like you can't be a good revolutionary subject if you are dominated by the sad passions, if you are um, overwhelmed by your trauma, and if you are uh, causing harm to others by reenacting it, right? Like there is a totally legitimate, like functional explanation for why that healing does need to take place, and also it's a good, it's a good counterbalance to the tendency of left spaces being ones where, like, traumatized people and people who are there to prey on traumatized people gather, um, and like focus exclusively on the goals of the organization as opposed to
0: their personal needs um that stuff is so tricky right because um and it's it, it's a it's a thing that's really hard to articulate because i guess it's it's hard to say it and with with the sort of it's, it's hard to talk about this stuff with the uh, required level of kindness and sensitivity because like Uh, I guess one of my big critiques of a lot of the left, and this is really also a self-critique, is that, like, we tend to be pretty dysfunctional people, and uh, not often the kind of people you would want to be building the next society, frankly, you know? But it's very hard to say that without it feeling like it's just cruelty against people who have already had a pretty hard time, you know? but it's also true still like i mean even if it's hard to swallow it's still true right like uh and the way the author puts it here is that like we have to become the sort of people who could successfully take a revolutionary situation to its conclusion and if we're really honest like uh, looking around a lot of the left as it exists now it's just not the case you know um, for for a huge variety of reasons um but again it's so it's so hard because like um often you are dealing with people and communities of people who are trying to fight back against oppression, trying to heal in some way, and it feels cruel to point out that we're not actually very good at succeeding at that, you know what I mean? Like, it's a very, very hard thing, it's a very hard line of conversation to have.
1: Yeah, well, and I guess it helps to be upfront about it, that, like, as they sort of say here, like you can't come from a background of oppression and not be marked by it. And it's about accepting that that's true, but also um, acknowledging that being, like, you're not going to make the revolution as a broken person or a collective of broken people. Like, you have to somehow engage literally in self-help To become, you know, at least somewhat functional individuals and get this done because no one else is going to do it. Like if you come from a cushy middle class lifestyle and you just go to a cushy middle class life, you're never going to give a shit about any of this stuff in a way that would cause you to do anything about it as opposed to just having a bleeding heart. Like it's it's like like, you know. Not to say that there aren't people from those backgrounds that do go on to become revolutionaries, but it's usually because some form of oppression touches on their personal experience. Um, it's not the people who are like, oh, yeah, my family's happy. I'm happy. My town's happy. Everything around me's happy. And I just want to play sports and live in my big house. Like that is not the sort of person that's going to become a revolutionary. Um, and so like, yeah, 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 yeah. So we just like, yeah, we just have to like accept that this is the situation we find ourselves in. Um, and it is never going to just go away and fix itself because there's no systemic reason why it
0: would. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in the meantime, there can be an upside to acknowledging that, because we can maybe develop a more realistic sense of what we're actually doing and what the possibilities on the ground really are at any given time. So like um, reading a quote here, uh, for instance, when we reflect back on the failures of the autonomous zones during the George Floyd uprising, perhaps the problem was not that the gestures themselves were incorrect, it's that we are not yet the kind of people who could successfully occupy a liberated territory. And as you've noted here, yeah, that's the understatement of the century, right? Like, because, um, like, a lot of people, a lot of people were surprised that, like, it's like when, when the, the autonomous zones, you know, like, fell apart, and they fell apart because people had just murdered two kids for no fucking reason, basically. Like, when all that shit dissolved, some people were very surprised that that was the outcome. I was less surprised, you know what I mean? Like, it's not not a super functional fucking thing, you know what I mean? Like, and when we find that kind of surprise, we have to ask ourselves, why are we surprised by it? Like, do we d- did we think that was the actual? Like, I don't know. Like, uh, was maybe maybe the sort of like model and reality are misaligned if we're not seeing those kinds of things as 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 problems, you know?
1: Well, and also like just the people in the autonomous zones weren't able to see records for who they were and act reasonably in response to that right because it's just like oh we're we're open anybody can come in all opinions are valid etc etc like that's not how you occupy liberated territory you have to have like not just methods of demonstration but also methods of self-defense and not just against like physical violence, but against like malicious infiltration. And 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 the people who occupied those autonomous zones were not the kind of people who had those capacities. So it, it's, it's, this is not to say, oh, I would have done better. It's just to say, yeah, this is like, this is a fact. Like there was no, like, there were people who could see what was going on, but they weren't able to steer things in a better direction. Absolutely. And that is like, well, yeah, that means we're not – we don't have the capacities for organization to actually create a resilient, liberated territory. Um, And that's kind of why, like, all of this BSM stuff, all, all of that – you know all of this all of these considerations we're talking about in this essay are important and relevant is cuz like we need to have different capacities we need to be different people who can do different things
0: yeah i mean i remember like uh, at the time saying that like if if we're lucky that event would kind of be remembered as like this this is something that sets a mark for like you must be this tall to ride or whatever that like if you're going to entertain doing any of these autonomous zones, or whatever, in the future, you have to have an answer for how are you going to preemptively organize to avoid the situation where people just get randomly murdered. That There has to be an answer for that after this event. And if you don't have an answer for like how that's not going to go that badly again, then you're not ready to do an autonomous zone, you know?
1: Yeah. And that's even putting aside all the things of like, well, are you really autonomous if you exist at the pleasure of the police like not attacking you right that's not actually autonomy that's just heteronomy in a different guise because the the
0: the 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 determining power is the police not you and also like the cops have now learned that the way to deal with this kind of thing is to literally just sit there and wait until the occupiers just fuck up of their own accord yeah, I mean, it, it, but they, they don't it, actually it, it, need to move in and, up and push you out. You, you'll, you'll liquidate yourselves pretty easily while they wait. You know, uh, yeah, which is like opposite of what happened in Ottawa,
1: right? With the these these right wing assholes who occupied the city center, like the poli- the police sat on their hands and did nothing, and they didn't show any signs of actually self destructing. Um, so then they uh escalated uh
0: to to actually physically removing them from the site they had to move in then yeah yeah and you, you got to one like that's it's pretty damning when like like you, our, our side makes some sort of move and the the other side like the cops their response is literally just no 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 don't don't do anything these guys will fuck it up on their own time you know <laughs> that's that's pretty damning Uh when that's the lessons taken away um, anyway like let's talk about these principles at the end um, uh,
1: so the these are principles sort of modeled on the 12-step principles um but are relevant to the kind of vital cell organization they're talking about in this article uh so the first is the principle of feedback do we provide feedback such that individuals involved in our organization can grow so you know uh, constructive feedback. Literally. Uh, two is the principle of difference. Do we organize across differences? If not, what needs to be done to make the group more resonant with its outside? So is it, you know, all a bunch of people look exactly like each other or are we actually reaching out? Um, three is the critical principle. Does the vital cell begin from our lived perceptions, from our own experiences of suffering within this world? Right? Um, okay. Uh, so instead of beginning from like, I don't know, the phenomenology of spirit is pretty cool, or something like that. Um, like it's, it's yeah. Base it in meaningful experiences, not just uh, abstract uh, program or fan club thing. Um, for the principle of multiplicity, uh, does the vital cell allow for multiple truths to proceed towards collective growth? Right. So is it, is it plural instead of being uh, a monoculture? Uh, fifth is the vital principle. Through our cell, do we find ourselves on the path to a more vital participation in the world? Does participation in the cell help us grow in our capacities? Does it help us overcome obstacles on this path? So is it, is it getting you down or is it actually helping you? Um, and then six, the principle of open-endedness. Does it, be, does it promote becoming without posing an ideal figure of growth? In other words, does our self foster open-ended growth regardless of where one is coming from and without recourse to normative ideals, uh, for example, of communism or wellness archetypes, etc.? Uh, So that's like the reification thing. Um, And then uh, principle seven, the principle of autonomy. Can members participate while maintaining their autonomy? So like does the group make you give over all your property to them or uh, are you able to kind of live your own life outside of that group, Um, you know, that kind of thing. And then principle eight, the principle of revolution. Does the vital cell maintain a revolutionary orientation while building immediate power? When each of these questions can be answered in the affirmative, then a vital cell has been formed.
0: Mm-hmm. They seem pretty good. Um, uh, nice, nice little checklist to to check off against. Um, yeah, I, I also I, I like the kind of it's like a kind of diagnostic framing, much like. Here's VSM stuff. Like this is how you would go diagnosing a thing. Um, here's a heuristic for identifying if something's going well or not. Um, so I guess that's the essay. Um, any wrap up thoughts? I guess we've 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 covered a lot of ground here. Yeah.
1: Um, I I think the only thing I would say is that uh, because of this cell-to-cell structure that they've set up here. Um, like, I think there's, there's a reasonable connection to the 12-step groups, like at Maps. Um, I could see it spreading. I could see it being constructive for the individuals involved. But I think that the issue is that this um, organizational form wouldn't have any capacity for strategy. So if, you, if you're talking about tactics, yes, absolutely could, could do that. But if we look at that sort of like sliding scale in Boyd um, of like moving from tactics to grand strategy, those higher levels are things that these vital cells would not be capable of doing because um, there would be no mechanism by which to decide Like whose strategic perspectives are valid, and even like to disseminate it, or or sorry, not to disseminate, it, but to to work together on strategic perspectives. Um, because it's just like like I could see them maybe doing like operational stuff of like, hey, here's five groups, like we have this thing we all care about. Let's like do a temporary project together to make this happen. Right, this is like something that uh, that affects our region. But if you were talking about like sort of theater level strategic concerns, I cannot see these groups ever uh, articulating the capacity to um, to to act on on that level of problem. Um,
0: they just they just would not be able to do it. Um. Yeah, I think so. I think um, to get there, you would need just need you need to go to VSM stuff, I guess. Um. But then you're you're kind of
1: it's it's VSM stuff, but like the VSM has to be the start of a diagnostic of why your system four is anemic. Right? Like it, it it's the VSM is a diagnostic tool, so it doesn't provide an organizational form that meets its like as the recommendation for what it meets its criteria. So I think that you would have to say like maybe these vital cells are good for capacity building, for getting things off the ground, but then you would have to move to the VSM diagnostic of like where are they inadequate and how could we maintain our principles while articulating something that is more adaptable
0: to larger more abstract problems mm-hmm. yeah totally right because um the the vital cells thing is not recursive right that's it's one layer of a network whereas and so I, I could imagine this being applicable at the i guess the bottom level system one stuff of a of a wider wider system so you've got individuals then you've got as as system ones or whatever and then they cohere they cohere into vital cells and then those vital cells are cohered into um you kind of use use the vsm stuff from there on out to cohere upwards into larger things but that that like recursive coherence isn't in this piece
1: yeah and what is described here sort of describes a broader organization that has a that has systems one that has a strong system two in the form of its protocols, right? Um, but has no system three, uh, a little bit of a system three star in the way that mentorship works, right? That kind of like group to group um, thing and the the uh, the like primary secondary connections um, has a sort of like nebulous system four that would just be like word of mouth between cells, right? And then has a system five, which is about being vital cells and being revolutionary and and the principles. So it's like the system three and system four are very weak in what is being described here um, and would need to be bolstered if they were to be effective beyond those you know, particular domains, because like each vital cell would have, you know, systems one through five all to itself. It's just when you go above that to the network of vital cells that you get into that problem of like three and four being really weak. Definitely.
0: Yeah. I think that's, 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 that's fair. Um, uh, and, and without that, um, without, without those higher level structures, it would be at risk of just kind of devolving back into the you you could just have the same problems again of like hey affinity groups don't yeah the affinity groups basically don't manage to get anything done like you know with so yeah 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 it's uh there's still there's still something not present here that's that's needed yeah
1: mm mm-hmm. yeah and i i like you know it, it's it's like when sart talks about the the communist party and like how you know it's supposed to be able to coordinate between struggles here and there um, and like that's why it's valuable. It's like, yeah, like that is a valid point, assuming that's what communist parties actually did and ignoring all the other problems with the Leninist party form, right? Like it's it's like that point of coordination and strategizing is still necessary even if you accept all of the real problems with, with Leninism, right, um, yeah.
0: Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening to General Intellect Unit, and we hope you'll join us again next time. While you wait, you can find us on Twitter at giunitpod. you can find us on the web at generalintellectunit.net, and you can find us on all the podcast apps, so like, rate, and subscribe. If you go to patreon.com slash generalintellectunit and give us a couple of bucks a month, you can help support the show and get access to our community discord. This show is part of the Emancipation Network, a Marxist podcast network and research collective go to emancipation.network and check out our sister shows, such as Swampside Chats, Jumpsuit Utopia, From Alpha to Omega, and Mortal Science. They're all excellent shows and excellent folks. Once again, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time.